One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the place where musical memories turn into top-notch storytelling that reveals our guests' personalities and personal histories. Thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Lee County Commissioner Frank Mann. Once described in the news press as the dean of Lee County political figures, Commissioner Mann is a lifelong Lee County resident who got his degree in political science from Vanderbilt University in 1964. He spent nearly 50 years in the business community and founded his own insurance agency in Fort Myers in 1967. Frank's career in public service began in 1974 when he served eight years in the Florida House of Representatives and four years in the Florida Senate. In 1986, he was his party's nominee for lieutenant governor of Florida. He and his wife Mary Lee have been married for 58 years. They've got a couple of sons who are still local and five grandkids. His bio says he loves to spoil. If Frank Mann is the dean of Lee County political figures, his mom, Barbara B., was the queen of Lee County art figures. She left a whole lot more of a legacy in the local arts community community than just her name on the Performing Arts Hall at Florida Southwestern State College. Frank is an active member of Covenant Presbyterian Church, where he has been a member of the choir for more than 50 years. And a little bird on a Tallahassee blog told me Frank once teamed with a fellow freshman lawmaker to form a popular folk singing duo in the Capitol. So that's pretty much right where we're going to begin. Hi there, Frank, man. <laughs> I don't know where your little bird flew in from. You but, know, uh, Robert McKnight on a Tallahassee blog said that it didn't hurt that he was an excellent musician and teamed with fellow freshman Tom Moore from St. Petersburg to form a popular folk singing duo in the Capitol. Well, is that fake news? Bob McKnight was a <laughs> he was a freshman legislator in 1974, as was Tom Moore and Frank Mann. Okay, uh, so uh, he's telling the truth. Was there. there any music being played? We uh, actually uh, <laughs> put together a little group that uh, got uh, bigger and smaller over the years, depending on how many could could play an instrument. I actually played a little guitar. Tom okay. Moore played a little banjo. Uh, we found some other legislators and some lobbyists who played a variety of instruments and some staffers up there. One of them was uh, excellent on the uh, on the violin. So uh, we ended up uh, getting together frequently and doing bluegrass in the Capitol after work hours. Six o'clock, they'd all end up in my uh, in, in my little office suite, and we would pick and grin uh, for hours. And the people would—they knew if you went to, to Frank Mann's uh, office after work, there'd be some picking and grinning going on. What did yeah. you guys ever have a name? Did you have a no, d- d- no, no name? Was, was this a bi- Frank Mann's office? <laughs> was this a bipartisan band? Oh, back then, oh, those were great days to be in the Florida legislature because uh, uh, Republicans were allowed to talk to Democrats and vice versa. Uh, I went up there as a Democrat and spent my entire career in Tallahassee as a Democrat from uh, 74 to 86. Uh, it was a kinder, gentler time, frankly. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I could co-sponsor bills with people from the other party and nobody raised their eyebrows. Uh, some of the most significant legislation uh, I was able to work on, and I'll, I'll mention one of them, was the— uh, uh, the bill that 
we passed legislation to kill the cross-state barge canal, oh. which had been planned for 50 years. I'd never even heard of that. Was that a further north kind of thing? Uh, around Ocala. Oh, wow. Uh, and it, they had been talking about building a uh, canal across Florida for 200, 300 years, back uh, from the time when Spain controlled Florida. Uh, they had talked about it, but it was coming to fruition uh, in the uh, 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the environmental community had uh, determined that if we were to dig a 30-foot deep trench across Florida, we would cut into all kinds of freshwater aquifers, mm-hmm. and we would be bringing salt water directly into those freshwater aquifers. And then environmentally, they were anticipating quite a uh, disaster. Uh, but politically, it was greased and ready to run. Uh, and I got on the side of the guys that stood out in front of the uh, the bulldozers, as oh, it were, yeah. Yeah. and said, we're not going to do this. And I sponsored the bill in the House as a Democrat. And the, my companion bill in the Senate was uh, offered by a senator named Warren Henderson, who was from the Sarasota County area. But he and I were good friends, different parties, but a similar view on what had to be done and what were the priorities of the day. Uh, so that's why I say it was a kinder, gentler time. Yeah. And Republicans and Democrats could work together. And uh, uh, as it turned out, we passed that bill. And there is no cross-state barge canal today in Florida. And uh, that's one of the things I'm uh, uh, proudest about as well, I look back well, on my career. Well, Dad, thank you for doing it uh, all these years later. Um, what was the musical background of your childhood here in Fort Myers? What was, what was happening around well, you musically? If, if you were Barbara Mann's child, there was always music in the home. Being played on what? On uh, Actually, she uh, was a an organist and choir director, and she always had soloists warming up and practicing in her living room. (laughs) So wherever I was going in and out and uh, making noise in the kitchen or my bedroom, she was always saying, you know, hush, Franklin, Uh, we're trying to rehearse in here. So there was real live music as she rehearsed for the Sunday church program, wherever it had to be. She she ended up, uh, she was the organist and choir director at the uh, uh, she ended up at the First Presbyterian, uh, where my wife and I, where where my our whole family grew up, and where I actually met my wife when we were eleven years old. Is that right there downtown, right downtown, old Fort Myers. Yeah. Uh, she was also at the First Baptist Church for a while, and the First Christian Church, all of the old downtown mm-hmm. uh, churches. Uh, but when an opening came at the First Presbyterian, that was our family's church, so that's where she. Ended up, but there was she was there was always her own personal music, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, as far as uh, other music, my brother and I had a little record player. Mm-hmm. Do you call them Victrolas? What right. it was? It was a, a, a three-speed seventy-eight, thirty-three, and a forty-five. But uh, just a single record, that's all you could play. Mm-hmm. You, you played it, and you flipped it over, played the other side, and then put another one on it. And the records were all plastic and scratched up, and uh, but uh, that that was our own music. But the 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 real music, which was a lot of music, uh, was uh, was my mother's direct music, and my father had a great baritone voice. Oh yeah, and he was one of her church soloists when uh, 
when there was a, a shortfall on, on musicians for Sunday mornings, he said, George, I need you to sing so-and-so. And she, he'd come around from the corner where he was, and they had an office in their home. He was a building contractor. Uh, he'd come out for a little while, and she'd show him the sheet music and play it for him, and he'd sing it a couple of times, and hmm. Sunday morning he'd be the lead soloist. What is your role in the choir? The, you know, what do you, where, what do you, where, where do you fit vocally? I, I was never a vocal soloist. I could carry a tune easily enough. I mean, that was also required if you're a barber man's child. <laughs> you needed to read music. I played the trumpet. My brother played the trombone. We we did our thing in like the in band. high school and stuff. Yeah, high Fort school. Myers? Yeah, and I still play a baritone horn today, even in the church. Uh, oh, really? That we attend today uh, with a little church band that they have. Uh, they give it a more dignified name, like orchestra. But it's right. a, it's a little band, but. I was happy after 50 years to pick up a baritone horn and realize I, I was still able to oh, play it. Oh, that's pretty so, cool. So that's a fun fun thing. Where in Fort Myers did you grow up? I'm just geographically speaking. Uh, when I was born, we lived in Tice. Okay. Uh, but uh, when I was four years old, we moved uh, to old Fort Myers, actually about uh, – to orient it, if if you know where everybody knows where the uh, original uh, Lee Memorial Hospital is, the Lee the Lee campus there off of Cleveland Avenue, mm-hmm. uh, we were just two blocks south of that, off of Cleveland Avenue, on a little street called Nelson Street. Oh yeah, yeah, I lived on Nelson for a while actually. Nelson, <laughs> it was actually named for Nelson Huff, who lived on that street. Really, a little, little piece of history here for you. <clears throat> Uh, Nelson Huff owned Dixie Buick, okay, and it's that. still in his family today. Dixie Buick, uh, two generations, three generations total there. But uh, Nelson Huff was like a second father to me. So hmm. yeah, Nelson's where I grew up, and that mean that put me at Edison Park Elementary, and right School. down the street there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. and Fort Myers High. Yeah. Um, so um, <clears throat> if you dig back as far as you can. What would be an early, early musical memory besides, you know, your mom playing the organ or something like that? Is there anything outside of that world that you that pops into your head? You know, ironically, uh, there was some good music, and this goes way back in the history of Fort Myers, in the Lions Club-sponsored uh, minstrel shows. <laughs> we had minstrels in Lee County in Fort Myers, they uh, played at the what is still now the Arcade Theater. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, all the inmen in their little uh, white suits uh, and the stupid jokes and the knees slapping and carrying on. Uh, but there was some great uh, uh, music came out of that, and it was all local talent. Uh, but my mother in 1949 was on the original board of directors of what is today the Fort Myers Community Concert Association. Mm-hmm. And they brought uh, some of the greatest international music talent here, uh, soloists, uh, uh, pianists, uh, violinists, uh, you name it, the, the greatest in the world were, were being brought by that little group here. Uh, in 1949, I remember Eileen Farrell was the first soloist in the first concert uh, produced by the Community Concert Association, and that was played because there was no there was no Barbara Mann Hall, there was no, no decent places to play anyway. So that performance took place at Edison Park Elementary School, <laughs> uh, and they had seats that were wide enough. 
uh, to uh, sit an adult. So my mother, I remember, she had us on the first row. She was the membership chairman for the group, and she wanted my brother and I to be where she could see us and keep us under control. <laughs> well, we were sitting there not 10 feet away from Eileen Farrell, and boy, when she hit like her first high note, both my brother and I grabbed our ears and shrunk down into our seat, and Mother was right there beside us, and she was mortified. Right. This this top soprano in the world in Fort Myers, Florida, a little country. And you guys town. are yeah, and you guys are acting uh, yeah, the part. We're acting. We're, <laughs> we're just giving a normal reaction of a, a seven and eight year olds at the at the time, but that's one of my early uh, musical uh, memories. Uh, and they brought five concerts a year, uh, four or five concerts a year, and they've been doing that since 1949. My wife is now the president of that oh. organization, took over. Uh, my mother was in uh, mid-'90s before she finally threw in the towel and right. said, uh, Mary Lee, somebody else got to do this and bring us into the 21st century, which, uh, which she's d- done. But my point here is that for 75 years, we've had the greatest – in music of all types, uh, of uh, performers of international acclaim mm-hmm. that have been coming here. And, uh, and it continues today. So I remember uh, my music, uh, a large portion of what I recall, was through the uh, Community Concert Association. Very cool. Outstanding talent that you brought, they brought here. Very cool. My daughter, the, a couple of years ago, the Symphonic Master Singers started up the City of Palms Youth Choir. Choir. I know the group, and I've and I've got a, a stepson, step grandson that's playing with it. My, d- with my it. daughter was in the middle school version last year and the year before. This year, she's too busy with other theater stuff. But one of her highlights was getting to sing on stage at Barbara B. Man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's yeah. get to your first uh, song. All right, I'm with you. I've, I've never done this before. You're I doing can't wait. Great. To, I can't wait to hear what we have to say. So, um, so your first song is is a is a hymn. It's In Christ There Is No East or West, um, written, I did a little research, written by a guy named John Oxenham, Oxenham. Anyway, why is this your first song? How did this come to mind? Well, you gave me the general parameters of, uh, can you think of a song that brings a particular uh, memory to life? Uh, and I've, I was trying to think back childhood times as far back as I could, and uh, – in 1956, I went on a conference of uh, uh, church-sponsored kids, happened to be the Presbyterian Church, a uh, national conference that was held in Grinnell, Iowa. Uh, uh, and there were probably 3,000 kids hmm. from all over the country there. And the theme uh, that year was... Uh, these this these are the days of hardcore segregation, known best in the South, but it existed in one form or another just about everywhere across the country. Uh, but at this conference, we were there was a big focus on why do we have segregation? Why don't we love one another? What what has color got to do with this? Uh, what what is language and culture? Why should it all these things separate us? Aren't we all here for the you know, for for the same purpose and to enjoy our families and worry about the kids and how they're going to do. And uh, we have so much in common. And as uh, John, John F. Kennedy once said, we, we all breathe the same air. 
We are all mortal. So we have all this in common. Why should we find all these things that separate us? So the theme uh, hymn that we ended every night's devotional service with was In Christ There Is No East or West. And it was a major cultural shift for me in my mind because I was raised here in Fort Myers, born in Fort Myers, raised here. We were a part of the Old South. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Segregation was very much a part of us. Uh, The N-word was just routine. Nobody really seemed to give give it any thought, but it was just part of the language. The term colored was used by black and white uh, to describe the town, the community, Dunbar, that we refer to uh, today. Uh, So here I was, having been raised in the South, in a community that was typical South, where there was a railroad track and there were two sides of the track, mm-hmm. same track that runs through uh, Fort Myers through the old uh, near the news press where the news press was for many many years, uh, and this was a cultural sh- almost shock to me. Uh, I was really never conscious of segregation. It was just the way we were. Uh, I I worked with black people on my father's construction crews Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager, and this is the same time. And I remember uh, as as my own mind started to gel as to what was going on around me culturally and philosophically, uh, that in— on the job, I was perfectly equal with the black counterparts when I was a teenager. We were the ones with the shovels and the sledgehammers doing the hard work uh, and the wheelbarrows. Uh, and and I saw nothing different from those folks than I was. I mean, we were all sweating and we all looked forward to lunch break. We all looked forward to 4.30 when it came in the afternoon. We got to go home. Uh, but I had never really given any thought about integration, segregation, and the culture that I grew up with until I got to this Grinnell, Iowa. There's a college, Grinnell College in Grinnell, and that's where we were all uh, hanging out. We were camped on the campus uh, because they didn't have enough room for all (coughs) those. 3,000 kids. Yeah. Uh, But every night we sang this same song. And it was one of those uh, really moving, emotional things as the week went on and the kids got closer to each other because we would sing it uh, holding hands, 3,000 kids tied together, and we would sing that song. And by by midweek, uh, we'd get through it and tears would be coming down our faces. Mm. It was a very emotional experience and the first opportunity in in my life to look at myself and look at the world that I lived in and question some of the things that were a part of my world and my life. Uh, And uh, when I ended up in the political world years after that, I I had many an, an opportunity every time I heard that song to think back, well, what Frank, that's the time that you realized there were things in your life that were not the way you'd like to have them. And there was a change came over me, and it kind of shocked even my own parents, who were products of the time as well. Uh, But lots was going on, uh, and a lot of change had just begun. 1954, you may remember, 
was the uh, Supreme Court decision, Brown versus the mm-hmm. Board of Education. Mm-hmm. That's when they said uh, uh, that uh, discrimination uh, by any name or whatever you call it uh, is unfair and it's unequal and it cannot be. And on a nine to zero uh, vote of the Supreme Court, they says our school systems cannot be integrated because it's uh, fundamentally unequal and we're not going to allow it. And it was only two years later that I was at this conference and that big big uh, decision had come down and, and here we were and we're kind of living out. And I continued to live out through my entire political career the changes and the steps forward in uh, trying to eliminate and ultimately pretty well eliminating segregation per se as we had known it, uh, as I had known it as a child growing up to the time I was 15 years old that summer when we heard this, uh, this great song. And I cannot hear that song without it taking me instantly back to Grinnell, Iowa when I was 15 years old. And, and to this day, and you'll hear me choke up over it, uh, the tears still form in my eyes sometimes. Well, let's see. Yeah. What, let's see what happens when we listen to it together. I haven't listened to it yet. Um, all right, this is uh, in Christ. There is no east or west. Um, this version was recorded by the Oregon Catholic Press Session Choir. A question that's come up a couple times over the shows that we've done so far is how would your 15-year-old self feel about how you turned out? And so I'm going to apply that question right now uh, because that was your 15-year-old self, and here you are all these years later. Do you feel like the, the hope you had in your heart then is something you've pulled off in life? I don't know that I, I would be so uh, arrogant as to claim any credit for the changes that have been made, but I have lived – through the time when monumental changes were made, uh, just living through the uh, Martin Luther King days, uh, being an adult alive and well uh, in 1968 when he was killed, uh, had a profound impact on me at the time and continued to. Uh, but, but he and so many others were real-life martyrs. Uh, I, I was a witness to all that. And when I got into the Florida legislature, uh, I had many opportunities to work on legislation uh, that continued chipping away at the old vestiges of segregation and, and institutionalized discrimination and hate. Uh, so I, I feel good about those, uh, those opportunities I had, all to no small extent, I believe uh, – formed, and philosophically speaking, when I was at Grinnell, Iowa, and uh, singing that song every night. Interestingly enough, and don't feel badly about this, the words that I just heard from the song uh, were the same. Uh, the music, it was a different version oh, really? of the okay. hymn. So same, uh, same lyrics. Uh, let, me, let me see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you I'm not a soloist, but I, uh, your listeners may be, uh, may be more familiar with, In Christ there is no east or west, in him no north or south, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth, and then on and on and on. But the whole idea was in Christ there is no east or west, and there's no black or white. There's no. There's uh, only one side of the rail. Yeah, yeah, and yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and and the just singing that song, 
and holding hands. And we had we had people from international community too. So there was folks from India, uh, Brown, a handful of blacks. Well, that's not what I was gonna. Many. That's what I was gonna ask. Is, not is what very was that many. group like? Uh, but our focus <laughs> was on the subject, and it was not. We didn't dwell on it, but we knew that we were talking about. Uh, ask, asking ourselves a question, why don't we get along with everybody? Why do we have two different worlds split here and three and five different worlds, depending on what, what part of the world you're in? But uh, that's, it's interesting. I had never heard that version that you just uh, played, but the words were exactly the same. Depending uh, uh, whether it's first, second, or third verse, I, Heck, I can't remember right. <laughs> which verses all the way through, but uh, the one I just gave you my rusty version on was uh, what is, uh, was the message, and it's one that was part of the message you, you just played. When you uh, got back to town after that, um, w- w- what did that feel like, you know, stepping back into the, 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 the old where everything was just sort of taken as granted, take it for granted? Well, uh, this – this recollection comes to me, uh, and it was it was kind of sad uh, to, to come back to the real world where you had thousands of kids together and with good, good leadership, and we were talking about love and getting along with one another. Uh, one of the great experiences of my teenage youth, and I'm, I'm not trying to make this into some uh, religious testimony here or, or stand up for Christ and, and all that sort of thing, but... Uh, I've been very active in the church. Um, I, I refer to myself as a as an habitual Christian because uh, I'm I'm always in the church. I've been singing in the choir, and uh, every now and then I give little messages from the from the pulpit. But right after we got back, uh, I went to a summer church camp, which was in Lake Placid, which is a little town just north of here, up twenty seven. Yep. Uh, and that's where we had a Presbyterian church camp, and kids from all over South Florida would, would assemble there for summer conferences a week, sometimes two weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very, I think it was the very same summer I ended up at the Presbyterian Conference Center in Lake Placid, and on our staff— and I'd never given this any thought. They, you know, I had uh, associate pastors and pastors, and other parents that are active in the church would be the would make up the crew that ran the the conference for the week with uh, a couple hundred kids there. Uh, one of them was black, and uh, and the kids instantly fell in love with him. I've, uh, he was just one of the guys that I forget what his particular role was, but he did it very well, and he mixed perfectly with kids. And he was just like we didn't we kids all white kids. Yeah, we didn't think anything about it. But like the third night we were there, if we got there on a Monday, maybe it was Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday, there was a little commotion. We we're on the second floor, and we saw we heard noises and uh, uh, kind of loud noises, not really a fight or a scuffle. Uh, but uh, we didn't know what was going on. But the next morning, it got around the conference center that the black man uh, had to leave in the middle of the night because we had been visited by uh, an element of the KKK. Hmm. Uh, and they said, you cannot have this black up here 
or we're going to cause serious trouble for you. I don't know. I didn't hear a word of witness, but that's the word that went around. Right. And the black guy was gone huh. uh, by more. He left that night. Uh, so I came back to a real world of segregation and hate and discrimination and the KKK. Huh. Uh, and I had never been aware that we had an active KKK. I don't think I knew what the KKK was all about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I learned it by going to a church camp in the summer for youth. And we're now at the time when, I, when a lot of us at that little conference had attended the one in Grinnell, Iowa. So, yeah, it's big and we, we were stunned, but there we found ourselves thrust back into the real world. Mm. And that's when we, uh, I don't know what the other kids were thinking, but that's when I had to first start being aware that there are things going on in this world that I'm not comfortable with, and and uh, as I grow and prosper and mature, I've got to do. I don't know. I don't know what I promised myself I was going to do, but I, the status quo in my own mind was unacceptable, and I remember uh, little times uh, when I would say or do things that my parents were not all that wild because I would be looked on as a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. And my folks got along in the community. My dad was the president of the Chamber of Commerce and the Rotary Club. Mother was active in all, everything that was culturally yeah. uh, aware. Uh, and they didn't need me being a troublemaker and uh, being out there on the front lines of demonstrations, that sort of thing. Wasn't that much went on in, in Lee County and Fort Myers area in, in the nature of demonstrations, that sort of thing. But there were enough little incidents over the years that, uh, uh, that I was uh, kind of – my folks were very diplomatic in how they, they would approach it. But I got the message that they didn't need me being a, a troublemaker, as it were. Ironically, I remember a concert, which was a ballet that Mother's Community Concert Group had, had sponsored here one year. And the lead male dancer was black. Uh, and uh, I remember the morning after the concert, Mother got a phone call. Uh, and I was only listening to one side of it, but she had mentioned the lady's name, and it was a name I was very familiar with because the lady had a daughter who was my age, and we were in the same class uh, at Fort Myers Junior High at, at that time. Uh, and the lady was all over my mother for sponsoring a concert that would feature a black showing up on the same stage with white women and their little ballet tutus. Hmm. Uh, and she was grossly and greatly offended. Uh, and I remember my mother trying to uh, defend it, and uh, I, you know, I forget, but uh, it was just another reminder that this was the world that I live in. Yeah. Uh, and it was a different world at the time. Hmm. Um, okay, well, let's uh, let's move on to some more music stuff. Um, you sing. We heard you sing. Do you ever, <laughs> do, you ever do karaoke? Never have. No, this is the closest I ever got to it. <laughs> so the, if you were ever in the presence of karaoke, would you be tempted at all, or was that just not on your list of things to do? That <laughs> depends on how much wine I'd have. <laughs> okay. um, you mentioned also before we started recording that you listen to, like, Sirius in the car or whatever. Yeah, so what, yeah. what kind of music do you listen to in your life these days? Uh, I have uh, 
there's six buttons, but there's only three of them I listen to. Uh, uh, Willie Nelson, uh-huh. his his station, because uh-huh. I love country western uh, and bluegrass, and there's there's a country western and a bluegrass station on Sirius, and I've got a, got them both. There's also a classics uh, symphony type uh, heavy duty classic music. I've got that, and the uh, the one I listen to frankly most of the time is called Escape, and it's just all the greatest modern easy to sing along with. Songs that you've ever heard, whether gotcha. they're Broadway or uh, just pull it out of the air from wherever they can, but they're easy to sing along with songs. You singing along in the car? Mostly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Do you remember the first music that you owned yourself as a person, as a young child, or you owned? Know, owned. Like this is mine. I have my own record. You know, it's something that I, it's music that I've identified with, and now I want to be a, an owner of it. Gosh, the first. Record I think I ever had uh, the uh, was uh, Toyland, 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 beautiful boy and girl land. There's a commercial that has just appeared in, this year in uh, for I don't even know what they're selling, but in the background the music is Toyland, Toyland, wonderful girl and boy, and that I, I remember the record was yellow. And on the on the folder, a folder, a little envelope, the hard card cardboard envelope that it slipped into, uh, was a picture of Mighty Mouse, not Mickey Mouse, but Mighty Mouse, and he was flying and with his cape twirling behind him, and uh, that was my first owned music was that one record, and I remember I was brokenhearted when one day it was sitting in a chair and I sat on it, and broken a thousand pieces because they were all very fragile back then. Do you remember the first time you saw music performed live that wasn't through sort of the lens of the church or your mom or any of that stuff? You know, something you know, country western or rock no, and roll. It would have or... been in those minstrel shows I'm talking oh, about. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there were there were live performance they had because they, they they had to entertain you. It wasn't all just uh, slap their knees and telling jokes with in blackface. And they, other than being in blackface, there was never anything racist. I, I don't remember anything racist being told, but it was it was fun at the time and entertainment at the time. But most of what they were doing was either telling jokes or singing. Some of it would be heavy-duty, serious singing. Some of it would be uh, light and slapstick. And uh, the one that I remembered, because my father was in a quartet that sang it, was the one I think you're getting ready to. Uh, well, we are heading towards to... song two if you yeah. want to tee us up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it a try. I've, I've run out of In Christ There Is No East or West. And um, it's so, a great experience. But So, okay, yeah, well, then you, uh, what, the second song you chose is Tenting Tonight. Yeah, I doubt anybody oh, that's uh, listened yeah. to this has ever heard it. Well, unless, like you said, unless they watch Frank Burns or uh, Ken, Ken Burns in Civil Burns. War. Yeah, yeah. So tell, so tell the story. Why is this? Uh, what is this song, and why is it uh, here in the studio with us today? It's a song that was born into the Civil War, uh, and I've seen old copies of it, uh, and it was uh, the reference would be in the mid eighteen hundreds. But it, the song uh, was sung on both sides, uh, both the Union and the and the Confederacy, uh, and it was it, it spoke of uh, young men who had been already now some in some cases years into a battle 
and a fight that uh, most everybody thought would be over quickly, no matter which side you were on. They couldn't believe that it had lasted as long as it had, but it spoke to the pain and the agony of a long, dragged-out uh, conflict when I'd really rather be home. But they said, the song says, uh, and I don't remember all the words at all, but I, uh, the, the, the story they're telling in, this, in the music is that here, once again, we are tenting on the old campground, uh, and, some, and they're saying, give me a song of cheer, because uh, there was no, nothing to cheer about, but they wished they could. Uh, our weary hearts uh, all hurt, and we want to be home. Uh, and that was, uh, there was so much pain and so, so much agony, so much loss uh, in the Civil War. More people killed in that than any war that we've ever had in this nation's history, World War One and Two included. Uh, so these folks were ready to go home. Uh, and I had never heard the song until in one of those minstrel shows, my dad and three other guys uh, sang it in a quartet. Hmm. Uh, and it was very touching to me, and it's very touching. I mean, the words, they, even, they meant something to me, and maybe I was 10 or 11 years old at the time. Uh, but particularly meaningful because my father was one of the guys singing the song. And then I would hear him humming it or sometimes singing it himself uh, at home. Or uh, when we were, I'd, my brother and I would be riding around in his uh, uh, 57 pickup, GMC pickup truck with him, and uh, he'd be singing that. Uh, and I, I learned it, but I hadn't heard it for 40 years. Uh, and and recently, when Ken Burns came out with the Civil War, uh, gosh, what a job he has done uh, on uh, all those historic yeah, classics he's, he's that he's put else. together. Uh, but his researchers found that song, and they put it into one of the segments. And when I when I was listening to it, let me tell you, the tears came to my eyes again. I said, "That's the song my daddy sang about the Civil War." My daddy's grandfather was in the Civil War. Wow. I mean, that's how uh, how these things kind of connect. Uh, and here I am, you know, uh, year 2019, uh, but I can still follow a connection directly uh, to a family member that was in the Civil War. He was a captain in Pennsylvania, a regiment from Pennsylvania. Hmm. Well, let's listen to it then. Um, uh, this is a version performed by a guy named Tom Rausch I found on YouTube. Uh, it's Tenting Tonight, or sometimes called Tenting on the Old Campground, like you said. Um, let's listen to it uh, now. Was your, uh, was your dad in that quartet accompanied by musicians, or were they a cappella? I honestly God, don't recall, but usually there was piano accompaniment. Uh, Guitars were not there yet. I mean, there was, we weren't like the guitars were just coming on. I mean, Elvis in the early, late fifties and whatnot. For then, I, I'm I'm betting it was probably piano, and I'm betting my mother was probably the pianist there. Uh, and that was on stage at the Arcade Theater. On stage at the Arcade Theater, yeah, downtown, same Arcade Theater that's on First Street today. What's uh, it like for you to go in there now and see a show? I mean, there must be like a, a thousand memories. I've I've been in there uh, to quite a few of them, the shows that are produced and directed and uh, performed uh, right there. I've enjoyed many of them, my wife and I together. Uh, we look forward to them, and 
Uh, I'm one of the few folks that I think attend those shows that can say that I was there on Saturday morning when I was 10 and 11 years mm-hmm. old uh, in the in the same place watching the old black and white uh, Gene Autry and Roy Rogers, uh, Hopalong Cassie, all of those. Uh, it, it, I mean, you, you can't help but just relive a little about that, of that each time you go into the place. But you could see me. Uh, I'm glad this isn't on TV. I'd be a little embarrassed. But uh, when the words of that song came back to me, uh, it did exactly what I think you, uh, you've asked me to uh, live again is when I hear that song, where does it take me? And it takes me right back to the arcade theater watching my father sing that song. And as we entered this little uh, segment here, uh, I was telling you the picture that the song paints of people weary of war. And I'd forgotten some of those words, and I'm glad we got to hear it again, even though it was a lady. Not yeah, yeah, Tom. by the way, not Tom. Sorry, Tom Roush. We, I, I pulled the wrong version, but continue. But uh, the, the lady, it was beautiful, and her version, uh, rendition, was just was very, very touching. Uh, and it spoke to the tragedy of war, and it didn't matter what side you were on. And that song could have been played in any war, in any time in history, because both sides have lost loved ones, and they're thinking of the families back home where they'd like to be right now. Uh, but some of their loved ones are, uh, or their friends and buddies are planted right beside them, buried, uh, and are never going home. But, uh, to for me, it's a combination of living through the tragedy of war, which I came to understand many, many years ago. And uh, I never served in the service, but I lost my my dear friends in Vietnam. That was the first ones I lost. People that I knew that I grew up with, I was in high school and college with, that went over there and never came back. Uh, so the tragedy of war is something I'm very personally familiar with. But this one that takes me right back to it being explained to me in music by my own father is a very touching uh, recollection. Because uh, among other things, I had, I had a wonderful relationship with my father, and I was very proud of my father, uh, and, and I was then, and I am now. Well, it was a strange relationship with him that he was not a hugger. He never told me he loved me, uh, but fathers didn't do that uh, back then. It's it's easier today, but I always knew that the love was there, and and the tenderness was there. Although mostly all he said was, "Have you cut the grass this morning, Frank? Was your it's your Saturday to do that, or or getting a pickup truck? We got to go to the job job site when I was working summers uh, for him." But uh, there was a a love and a respect that was uh, a two-way street between my father and myself. Uh, And many years later, after I had been in public office and uh, uh, had had plenty of opportunities to do good or to do do bad, uh, though my father never told me he loved me, one time, uh, not long before he died, he said, Frank, we're very proud of you. And man... That chokes me up today. So this song combined the tragedy and the agony of war times, whatever war. It just happened to have been written and sung 
originally in the U.S. Civil War. You know, I didn't find a version of it recorded, but in my research to look up that song, apparently Pete Seeger sang that song as a protest during the Vietnam War. Now, that would not surprise me at all. It has a Pete Seeger signature on it. Yeah, yeah. Although Hmm. 50 years later. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned uh, one of your grandkids is in the City of Palms Youth Chorus or Choir. Um, Do any of your other kids or grandkids play musician or music? Not really. I'm sure my mother uh, was uh, Barbara B. Mann was disappointed that the kids, uh, (laughs) her own kids and and failing there that their grandkids didn't become more active in music. But uh, they didn't. uh, All of our grandkids experimented with uh, guitar, uh, trumpet, uh, they pecked at the piano, but never. They just never, never got into it. But we drag them out to it, yeah. and they appreciate good music. And they appreciate heavy duty music. Uh, my kids will attend with me uh, an opera. They love La Boheme. Oh. They, they, they heard it so many times that when I was playing it, and they're trying to sleep in the bedroom, I'm playing it in the living room at night, uh, or other uh, classics. Uh, on like a record player? Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, had yeah. A, I had a really nice stereo uh, when the kids were growing up, and I played it far too loud uh, in the <laughs> evenings, and uh, they had to suffer through it. But they grew up appreciating and understanding opera. Just like I grew up uh, with my mother taking me to Miami. I should have thought of this uh, earlier when you were uh, – Asked me what my early recollections. My mother would take my brother and I when we were 9, 10, 11 years old to Miami to see Grand Opera live. Oh, cool. At the Greater Miami Opera uh, Society. Uh, and uh, and poor my, my poor kids had to suffer through the same thing listening to it on the record. Uh, we had a little higher quality record player at the time. Fancy stereo. Uh, okay, random pivot. Do you have, you have any TV theme songs committed to memory? No. <laughs> <laughs> you sure about that? <laughs> okay, you mentioned opera. Do you uh, do you have any um, uh, musical story about a man named Jed, poor mountaineer, barely kept the family fed, and then one day he was shooting up some crude up from the ground, come a bubbling crude, yeah, shooting up some food. oil. That is, <laughs> oh, well, that is. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Remember when I said David Bronkowski said it was truth serum? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Um, what about like Broadway shows, musicals? Um, are there any of those that you've um, you know f- fallen in love with in life? Uh, the most recent is Les Miserables, mm-hmm. uh, known by everybody as Les Mis. It's coming here to town again this year uh, at the Barbara Man, and I'm going to go see it for the fourth time uh-huh. and it, uh, when the the last scene comes you will watch this old man just slobbering the dear tears will be falling down the front of my face because that's another one that talks about the tragedy of war and lost friends and uh-huh. uh uh truth uh it's, it's just a powerful powerful uh song uh brought and it was it began in, in i think play first performed in in london but it's been it's been here uh, and watched by millions and millions of people. Uh, the great thing about the Barbara Man, I'm so uh, proud. I did have a little something to do with getting that place built. I I was in the legislature when we were able to get a grant to uh, to have it built. 
on the on the college campus there. Uh, but whatever performs in New York City, mm-hmm. we can play right here at the oh, Barber yeah. Man. No, it's, it's a stage has, a is show. massive. Uh, it's a uh, it, it allows us to, and that was my mother's dream to have a performing arts hall here that that would be would justify the quality of performer that she wanted to bring here. And that was like Eileen Farrell, who was the greatest in the world mm-hmm. at the time. And we have the very greatest in the world that perform there all, all the time. And so uh, when Cats, for instance, played at Broadway, Cats has played here many, many times. Mm-hmm. Fiddler on the Roof has played here mm-hmm. many times. Bro- uh, uh, South Pacific, you name them. Yep. If it's played... And was well received and continued for months, indeed years in New York. All of those have played here. Miss Saigon, I mean, you name it, it has played here. Uh, and I've I haven't missed any of them, and a lot of them I've seen two or three times. You know, one of my uh, this just popped into my head. One of my memories from when I was in high school was my uh, my sister, who was a musical theater person, singer, dancer, uh, triple threat. She competed. I think they call it Night of Stars, where all the kids would come out and they were competing for scholarships. And yeah. she sang a Les Mis song by herself in the middle of the stage at Barber B. Man. And I remember me and my mom were all the way up at the very oh, top. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What, an, what an experience, though, for her. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. We, she was just home for Christmas and we were talking about that. Hmm. Um, uh, who's your favorite band? Do you have a favorite band? Nope. Nope. I, I truly do not. No. Who, do you, who, who have you maybe spent the most time listening to in life if you just were able to magically add it all up? Willie Nelson? Uh, he would, it's a variety. I can't, I have, I've never gone out and just bought a record because it's a particular performer. I mean, I heard Elvis growing up. He was my generation. He played here in 1956. Uh, the same time or, or a year uh, later than you when I was in, in Grinnell, Iowa. Yeah. Grinnell, Iowa. Uh, so, but I don't think I don't remember ever buying uh, Elvis records when everybody was you know crazy Elvis crazy back then or for twenty years however long he performed and uh, played, uh, and I can't. I know I'm probably uh, disappointing some really great performers. No, but, that's okay. That's a, that's yeah, one of those yeah, unfair questions, yeah. I think. But we ask it anyway. Uh, um, the the music I play in my shop, and I have a barn. I've got a little farm out in Alva, uh, and I grow some. Uh, I've got six or seven hundred uh, citrus trees out there, and I look after them all. So there's a lot of work to do in my little barn. The music I have uh, on disc that I play are all classics. Uh, uh, a lot of them are opera. A lot of them are just uh, classical symphony, Tchaikovsky uh, kind of music. Mm-hmm. The heavy-duty stuff is what I listen to in my spare time. Hmm. Although I punch <laughs> uh, the – which is the one I told you about on, on my uh, – in on my in my radio, yeah, the, I'm serious. Yeah, That's the, 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 the what was escape. it? The escape. Yeah, escape, that was what yeah. it was. <laughs> just modern, just easy listening stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, okay, well, it's time to move on to song three, which is an outlier compared <clears throat> to the first two. Um, it's Josh Groban. 
What's yeah. the story? Yeah. What, what this is? Uh, you raise me up. What's the story? Or you know? And by, by the way, I didn't preface this. You know, you can choose to hear the song before you tell the story or after, and that kind of flavors it for the listener. You know, either they get to hear the story through hear the song through your story, or you get to tell your story through where the song put you. Uh, well, this one needs a little explanation because this story does not uh, look to my past. It doesn't take me to a time in my past, but it is going to play a role in my future uh, because the words are so heavy. And this one, boy, I hope I'll be able to get uh, get through and talk yeah, to I'm you. I'm going to move these. Get the, the tissues, tissues over here. Over here. Uh, uh, the song, You Raise Me Up. Uh, and uh, by Groban, a lot of people have have sung this one or recorded it. Uh, but uh, I have uh, asked my boys to make certain that uh, when my time comes and they're having a big Frank Man going away party, that I want this song played, uh, hopefully at the beginning, uh, as a way of... Uh, uh, saying one last I love you to my wife because she truly has raised me up. Uh, I'm Frank Mann, the kind of a big frog in a little pond, and I've been that down here in, in southwest Florida for quite a number of years, and a lot of folks know my name and they think I'm pretty special, or uh, I hope they think that, but <laughs> uh, maybe they don't. But at any rate, I get a lot of credit but I would have never been here. I would have never been elected to office. I would have never been reelected to office. I wouldn't have been financially successful, which I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm semi-retired right now, though I'm still active as a county commissioner. Nothing that has happened to me that is really good could have possibly occurred to the level it has if I had married uh, – you know, it would have been a miracle if, if it happened to me twice if I had not married Mary Lee Ferguson, who sat next to me in the sixth grade at Edison Park Elementary School when she moved here at the ripe old age of 11. Uh, we met then. We went steady in our junior and senior year in high schools and continued dating. And uh, the end of our sophomore year, we got married. And that was the truly uh the best thing that ever happened to me in my entire life because she has made me what I am today. I just uh, had a good friend in uh, the Florida Senate, Phil Lewis from uh, West Palm Beach. He told me years ago, he said, man, you married way over your head. <laughs> it was funny, but it was so true. Uh, and this story, uh, every time this song, every time I hear it, uh, brings tears to my eyes, uh, but it says in just a very sh few short lines, it describes uh, what my wife has been in my life, and uh, that'll be my last opportunity to say it one last time through music, and yeah. Groban's version is my favorite of all I've heard, so. Hmm. When, you, when you first met her and when you were 11, was there a, a, a click? Or did it take a while for you guys to jam? No, it was funny because the way girls and boys uh, mature differently. <laughs> uh, when we were 11 years old, she was taller than I and much uh, uh, just a larger person. She and another girl named Beverly Engelhart had, were the, both uh, 
the early bloomers in our sixth grade class. Uh, Engelhardt's father was Engelhardt of Engelhardt Funeral Homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, uh, uh, and I was just a little skinny shrimp of a guy, 85 in other words, pounds. She didn't pay much attention to you no, yet? No, <laughs> no. In fact, I mean, she dated all the upperclassmen when we were going through high school. I was just a little skinny shrimp. But well, the, you pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> I married over my head, that is for sure, but I lucked into it. Yeah. Okay, well, let's listen to this. I've never heard it before. This will be the first time for me. It's You Raise Me Up, uh, Josh Groban from his 2003 album Closer. Well, you did, you did it again, Mike. You brought the tears to the old man's eyes here. Well, you're you're not you're not on a very short list when it comes to that having happened during this show. This is uh, a a powerful message, and it uh, it only has three or four short little lines in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, when it says, "I am strong when I am on your shoulders," that just defines my relationship with my wife. For what is now nearly 58 years. I'm strong when I'm on your shoulders. Everything I accomplished, I accomplished standing on her shoulders, but she'll never get the credit. Does she know what this song means to you? Does she know this song? Do you guys listen to this song together ever? No. Uh, I've made probably a passing reference, but it's, it's, it's so powerful and so emotional to me it's not something I can talk to her about. Yeah. That's why I, I put it in an email message to my kids, my two sons that are that are here, so that uh, that it will at the proper time in the future, not in the past, uh, we'll be moving toward that. I mean, it's going to get here for all of us, and I know it's coming. But I'd like some final message uh, that that defines those 58 years, and I hope there's, you know, uh, quite a few more. Yeah. We've been, we're both 77 now, and both in uh, relatively good health, so we're enjoying our, our times together, but we've had 58 fantastic years uh, because she was there, and, and she raised me up to more than I can be, and I know that. Mm. I know that. It's just true as, true as uh, my name is Franklin Mann. Well, thank you for uh, sharing it with us here. I mean, that's you know, you place a lot of trust in us. Well, uh, this is something I've uh, never attempted before, and particularly with, with such an emotional theme uh, that we've created here uh, as we've gone through. I I didn't realize that talking about my father and tending tonight uh, was going to be so tough to to describe. Uh, but to describe your relationship with a wife who we've lasted 58 years, and my gosh, that just doesn't happen anymore. Right. Uh, people don't, they don't stay married that long. Half the people get divorced first go-around. So, yeah. uh, this one, uh, this was an emotional experience for me, Mike, and I really appreciate uh, what y'all are doing. It's an amazing theme, the way you approach it. Uh, and uh, I'm going to make every effort to uh, listen to every version you come up with from now on. <laughs> well, there's yeah. a lot. There's a big back catalog yeah. for you. Um, <laughs> was there a fourth song that you had to, to to leave behind in order to get to the, these three? You know, silly enough, the one I made a little passing reference to about Toyland, Toyland. Oh, I was here. <laughs> yeah, if you play that song, it takes me back to when I sat on that record. Uh, but I had played Toyland, Toyland. Over and over, because it was a happy, joyful little song, and I'm I'm sure I was only nine or ten years old 
when I finally broke that record. But uh, was it a song that that may have been played on the radio at the time, or was it more of like a promotional thing that came with some sort? of – I don't know the song. Richard, can you pull it up on YouTube and pipe a little in? Yeah, one sec. Toyland, Toyland, wonderful boy and girl land, and that, 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 that. It just. Uh, I don't remember. It wasn't like it was part of a radio show. We didn't have. <laughs> How did he get that so quick? The internet. <laughs> so this is uh, this is Doris Day. <laughs> she was. That's the one. We're going to have to call yours four song stories. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, we're, we're at the end of our, uh, our road here. I really appreciate the time that you've spent. I have one last question. This is what we always ask at the end. Are there any songs that you will avoid listening to because of some negative association or because you just can't stand that style of music or whatever? Oh, quite a few as to the <laughs> style of music. I mean, the, the ones that I'll be reaching for the dial. Uh, to punch another button, but I, none, none come to mind right now. But uh, I don't do today's modern rap. Uh, uh, that I can't get rid of fast enough. But, uh, I'm just a traditionalist, old-fashioned kind of stuff. But I lived my lifetime in a, a period of great, great music uh, and a great variety of music. Uh, yet, uh, at least half the time when I have my own choice on what I'm going to listen to, I find myself going back to previous generations, uh-huh. to the to the Tchaikovsky's and the Bach's and the uh, Luciano Pavarotti, the, the the great voices and the great music of yeah, yeah. yesteryear. Uh, best show you ever saw at Lee Civic Center? At Lee Civic Center? Yeah. I figured you had to have seen something out there because that's where people would go for rock and roll concerts back in the day, right? <laughs> there was a mud pool once. <laughs> Monster truck? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no? No concerts you remember out there? No. I, I remember uh, this was really exciting to me because I was a young legislator. Uh, back, but this would have been seven, 1975. Uh uh, Lawton Childs, who was our United States uh-huh. senator, was to speak out there in front of 6,000 people, and Lawton asked me to introduce him. Oh. So that's the thing I remember okay. more at the, the Lee Civic Center than any other. That's the biggest crowd I had ever addressed, 6,000 people, and I was able to introduce a guy that I loved and admired like the United States Senator Lawton Childs, who later became governor of Florida. Yeah. You know, back in yeah. the 80s, he was friends with my teacher at Fort Myers Middle School for the major work area program, uh, Mrs. Newton, and he used to come and visit our class sometimes when I was a middle school he student. He was very good about that. Yeah. Uh, being in, when he would come to town, and uh, rather than stay in a hotel overnight, he would stay with friends that he knew. Huh. He stayed at our house many times. Uh, and uh, to get to be able to know a guy personally that well, uh, he was one of my heroes. And when he asked me to introduce him, my gosh, my head swole. I, I wasn't fit company for weeks. Oh, okay, well, that is all the time we have, uh, Frank Mann. You got any final thoughts for us? No, Mike and I, this is new and different from anything I've ever done, and I, I cherish this time we've had together. Awesome, thank you. 
We make this show in the WGCU studios on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. This week's parting tune comes from our guest on episode 21 of this podcast, formerly Fort Myers-based, now L.A.-based, Kate Scales. At this point, I, like, really have to, like, use the restroom. And, like, we're good. We're good, like, halfway through the show at this point. And I'm like, babe, I'm going to go. I'm just going to risk it. Like, I, I can't remember what song was ending. I'm like, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to just fly over there. I'll see you in a second. He's like, okay, cool. So I start going, running. The, this tune starts like very specifically with like this like cowbell sound. <laughs> and I hear that one, two, three, four. And I stopped so fast in my tracks. And I like it was like I hit a brick wall and I like immediately stop and I like scream like, you know, GD. And as I do it, like there's this gentleman like right here, like on my left hand side who sees this whole process happen. And, I, and he laughed so hard at me, but was like... Yeah, girl, I get it. Get there. Get back to your seat. You know what I mean? So, like, that's how much this tune means to me. Like, I have bronchitis. I'm, like, running to a bathroom. Running, which, again, I I don't do anyways. And this tune comes on, and that's how much I love Queens. I flip around, get back to Tyler as quick as possible, and it was so cute. You know, he's like, oh, I'm so glad you came back. I knew you were going to be so upset. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna imagine that as <laughs> so we imagine listen that. to this is Little Sister by Queens of the Stone Age from their 2005 album Lullabies to Paralyze. Keep listening. There's no place like home. Next time on Three Song There's Stories. No Okay, now I, I always start with this sort of uh, baseline question of what was the musical background of your childhood, and since I was there, I'd like to see how it jives with what I remember. I know, Go I, was, for I it. was thinking about that.